Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, and starting at verse 27. And you can find that on page 1034 in the Church Bibles if you want to follow along. 1034. But to you who are listening, says Jesus, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you are expecting repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. We've been looking at the Beatitudes and uh, in Matthew's Gospel it's part of the longer Sermon on the Mount and we've heard just a little bit from Luke's Gospel and uh, just before Luke's Gospel we hear the uh, Luke's version of what we call the Beatitudes but in Luke's Gospel it's kind of blessings and woes and in Matthew's Gospel it's just the blessings and this morning we want to continue on uh, looking at the Beatitudes and this morning I want to speak to us about peacemakers. 
but I want you to cast your mind if you've seen any uh, uh, stories or you've seen some of the, the footage of the end of the Second World War. At the end of the Second World War, they declared peace. They said, peace has come. And peace had come when the fighting ceased. And I suppose in our day, we're looking forward to the day where there might be peace as we would see the end of the war in Ukraine. But if you know anything about your history, you'll know that just because uh, they put on the front of the paper, peace has been declared, it didn't mean that, say, Germany was fully rebuilt. That would take decades. It wouldn't mean that all of, like Japan, had been fully rebuilt or all the, all the places where there had been devastation, that they had been rebuilt. When I visited Sicily in, in the uh, 2010s, they said they were still rebuilding after the war. This idea that we have in our day and age is to be someone who's seeking peace, it's the absence of a negative. The negative being war, the negative being conflict, the negative being uh, destruction, and so peace is the absence of those negatives. What I want to talk to us today is that in the mind of Jesus, peace is not just the absence of a negative, but it's the presence of a positive. And I want to speak to us about that. You see, at the time of Jesus, there's this concept called Pax Romana. We have this, uh, throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, kings of Israel uh, avoiding war with their neighbours and thinking that avoiding war will please God. But it actually says in the Old Testament that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. So just the absence of war wasn't good enough for God. It was actually that they needed to do something positively. And because they saw evil in the eyes of the Lord, actually Rome stepped in and brought what they call Pax Romana. And the idea was, if Rome came in with brute force and squashed everyone and every uh, squabble between people, that would bring peace. So, peace in the eyes of the Roman Empire was brute force and suppression of conflict would bring peace. But again, God doesn't say that the absence of a negative is what peace is. In the eyes of God, peace is shalom. Shalom is a positive. Shalom is a restoration of all things, the rebuilding of people. It's the building up of something positive, not just the removal of something negative. And so, in the time of Jesus, when He talks about blessed are the peacemakers, he knows that all of his crowd know Pax Romana, which is brute force, which squashes all conflict, is their definition of peace. And he's saying, no, peace is more than that. But the Jewish people actually had this thing where they would uh, say hello to people with the word shalom. So they would greet one another, shalom. And they would depart from one another and say shalom. This idea of peace be with you 
as we passed peace, we say, peace be with you, but the idea is that we're actually passing something positive to the other. And in the time of Jesus, all of the audience that are hearing this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, they're hearing this peace, they would have heard the word shalom, they would have heard this greeting that they give to one another and Jesus is taking it to its highest level, not its lowest level. Because no doubt in the time of Jesus, some people would say hello using the word shalom in the same way we say hello to one another. If you go around society today and you say, how are you? You're not actually expecting an actual truthful answer, are you? You're just being polite. And there would be some people in the time of Jesus who are saying shalom, hello, goodbye to one another and they're meaning that the lowest form. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is actually raising it to its highest form of shalom, saying, peace be with you, peace be upon you, and may you have the restoration of all things. One writer said that shalom is the harmonious cooperation aimed at the welfare of all. It's got a sense of connection with other people. It's the welfare of all. When you say shalom to someone, it's saying that you wish them to have the peace of God, but also that they would be cooperating in the welfare of all. And so Jesus is teaching this sense of shalom when he speaks to the crowd. Now, the Bible is actually full of teaching on peace. And sometimes when you look at the way that peace, which is the English word, is translated in the Bible, it's put alongside some other words that we translate as joy, kindness and love. So you sometimes hear these sentences in the Bible that are putting together all of these positive attributes, which would give us an indication of what peace is. It's not our concept of peace, which is the absence of a negative, it's actually peace joy, kindness, hope, love, all of these positive contributions. And so, if we want to know what it means to be a peacemaker, if we want to know what it is to be someone who builds peace, then we have to know that we're making a positive contribution, a positive difference. We're not just trying to remove the negative. So, some theologians who talk about social justice. The difference with social justice in a Christian perspective is that we're not just trying to alleviate poverty, we're not trying to just feed somebody who's hungry, we do that. The same as we're praying for the end of the war in the Ukraine, that's a good thing. Same as feeding someone is a good thing. Helping someone get a roof over their head is a good thing. But Christian social justice is also working towards the positive restoration of all things so that people going hungry doesn't happen again. People get housing rather than there'd be people who would be living on the street. We get to a situation where we alleviate conflict before it escalates to war. So the idea of Christian social justice, as some theologians would suggest, is that we're working for the dignity of all human beings as well as serving their fundamental needs. And so when Jesus calls the crowd 
to be peacemakers, he's calling them into a relationship with others. But Jesus is going beyond what we would say is just helping out other people. He's also talking about an inner peace. Now, I know when we talk about inner peace in 2023, our mind might also drift towards mindfulness. Jesus is talking about more than mindfulness. Jesus is not just asking people to seek inner peace, but he is asking them to seek internal peace. So we live in a world where anxiety is on the the rise. We live in a society where depression is on the rise. Clearly there's an issue with inner peace in our society. But, as I've said before, if self-help really worked, it would have worked by now. If colouring in books and mindfulness worked, it would have worked by now. We would have seen a decline in anxiety and depression. The reality is that the beatitude, being a peacemaker, is calling us to be peacemakers with ourselves. It's calling us to work on inner peace. Not mindfulness, but this shalom that Jesus is talking about. The restoration of ourselves. It's calling us, if we look at the other beatitudes, this inner peace that we should be striving for, comes out of being pure of heart comes out of being meek, it comes out of seeking righteousness. If we want to have peace in our heart and mind, then we have to seek the other parts of the Beatitudes as well. So Jesus would suggest that if we want to have internal peace, part of that flows out of coming to peace with ourselves and part of that comes out of being at peace with God. We need to be focusing our inner devotion on our relationship with God who offers us peace and we need to see not in our own effort and striving but come to peace with ourselves because God loves us. So I wonder how you seek peace with yourself. For some people that's going on a retreat. Some people need to get away from the busyness of life in order to get right with themselves. They need to get out of the noisiness of their head in order to get peace with themselves. Some people need to just be relaxed and go from this hyper-productive world to not seeing themselves on what they produce, but their inner worth as a human being. There are some people, and I would encourage if, if this is you, that there are some people who do need to go and see a counsellor, they do need to go and see somebody who's wise, who, who they can talk things through. Sometimes inner peace is not found just by looking inwardly yourself, but it's about processing the internal conflict with somebody else. And Christian counselling is a wise and good thing to do if that helps you to find inner peace. Remember, It's the restoration of all things, including restoration of yourself. And perhaps dealing with past hurt, past conflict, things that have been done to you, might be a way for you to come to that inner peace. But the idea of the peace that Jesus is talking about, this inner shalom, is something that then flows out from us. It's not inner peace for inner peace's sake. 
this inner peace that we strive for is something that will then flow out into one another. Remember, Jesus says that this is an interconnected peacemaking. So, this internal peace that we gain then flows out to external peacemaking. Jesus is calling us to make peace, to seek peace with our brothers and sisters. In John chapter 17, in verse 20 to 21, he says to his Father, he says, my prayer is for them, talking about us, that they would not be alone. I pray also that they will believe in me through their message and that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may know that you have sent me. The idea is that when we realise that we're a child of God, we come to an inner peace that flows into our connection with one another. Just as God sent the Son to bring peace to the world, we're sent to go and bring peace to our world. Therefore, we seek peace and positive relationships with our fellow Christians and with the people in the world. Now, I know sometimes we think of Disneyland as the happiest place on the earth, but it should actually be the church, shouldn't it? The church should be the place that's the happiest place on the earth. It should be the place where there's great leadership, should be the place where there's great teaching, should be the place where there's the best pastoral care, should be the place where there's great uh, peace and that everybody can come and are welcomed. But you know the problem with the church is it's full of sinners. And sinners constantly get things wrong. You know, I think, I think it was, I heard it attributed to Nicky Gumbel, but it's probably a, a famous saying that many people have said. But if you find a, a perfect church, don't go there because you'll stuff it up. The idea is that I bring conflict to every space that I go to because I'm a sinner. And therefore, if I understand that I'm a sinner in need of grace, in need of mercy, then I actually start to realise that I add to the conflict in a situation and therefore I realise that I have to also contribute to the peace. It's not just about saying sorry for the things that I've done where I've stuffed up, it's actually contributing to the peace of an environment, which is building people up, which is the restoration of all things. So we talked about last week when we were talking, we spoke about how even our secular society doesn't like what we call two-faced people, where they behave one way in public when they get public accolades and they behave a different way in private. I think the reality of what we've seen in the news, the rhetoric that gets portrayed in the news about Christian leaders, is there are just far too many stories of Christian leaders who act one way in public and act a different way in private. And Christians have had a disservice done to them by these Christian leaders who act one way and don't build peace privately and yet they call the church to be peaceful in public. We need to behave in private, building peace in private when nobody's watching, not just calling people to peace in public. 
but I'm also aware of the fact that we can't be amazing to everyone we meet. Whilst we're called to be peacemakers and peace builders, we can't be amazing to everyone we meet. We lead busy lives and sometimes we just get frustrated. Sometimes we, we don't have an intention to be rude to someone, we're just busy or distracted and so therefore we behave that way. If we're peace builders, then we need to realise that our interactions don't always go the way that we want them to and therefore if we see that, we, we restore the relationship by apologising, by saying, you know, we, we, we regret our actions. I remember um, when Lisa was working at St Vincent's Hospital, uh, they had these great strategic goals, they had this great mission and it looked great in a strategic report but some people were kind of like, what does that mean on the ward of a hospital? And so Lisa came up with this phrase, when someone leaves St Vincent's care, do they feel more loved? It's just as simple as that. When someone leaves interaction with someone who works in a Christian hospital at St Vincent's, do they feel more loved? Now, for those who are Christian, there are a lot of non-Christians who work at St Vincent's and, and the hope was that they would pass on that love the same as the Christians. But those who put their faith and trust in Jesus would say, well, the love we're passing on is the love of Christ. We would say today that we're passing on the peace of Christ. When someone interacts with us, do they leave an interaction with us with more peace? That's part of the external peace building. Now, that's on every interaction. We're called to build peace in every interaction. We don't always get it right. When we don't get it right, because we're trying to restore things, we apologise and we seek peace. But I want to talk about a third area, which is what I call the holy discontent. There is something that God has put on your heart to build peace in the world in a particular way, in a particular location. It's, it's, a, it's a holy discontent that God has given you specifically. And there are probably a few others in the world that have that holy discontent. And God calls you to build peace in that environment in a way that's going to be a light of Christ in a particular space. And we're not all called to the same thing. Now, sometimes we call that our career, but I would say that it's more than our career. But for me, particularly, I've always felt discontent when people walk away from the church. And in a way, part of my holy discontent is if I can just build a church where it doesn't alienate people and we don't have internal conflict to the point where it actually becomes the happiest place on earth, not Disneyland, but here. If I can do that, that's a holy discontent that I'm happy to give the rest of my life to. And the reason I got ordained into the Anglican Church is because I feel like that's something that I can say, if I don't do anything else in my life, but create church where people feel that they can come and experience the love of God and then go out into their world and take the light of Christ, the peace of Christ into their world, if I can do that, that's something that I'm happy with. But that's probably not your holy discontent or else you'd probably all be putting your hand up for ordination. There's something else that you feel called to. For a long time, Lisa, my wife, was called to being the light of Christ in healthcare. But she got to a point 
late last year where she realised that actually God was calling her out of just one area to serving mission leadership in multiple spheres of influence. But it's still a holy discontent for mission leadership. Leadership, shaping leadership that helps the Christian mission continue and supporting people in mission leadership. You think about the Lampards, Greg and Janice. They have a holy discontent for Indigenous communities in the Northern Territory. They've given their funding to it, they've shaped their lives to it, they've done regular trips there because that's their holy discontent. And we support them and we encourage them and we're so pleased with the fact that they keep serving in that way, but we're not going on mission trips to the Northern Territory because that's not our holy discontent. Think about our CMS partner who's in a theological education in Indonesia. They're so fundamentally called to holy discontent of theological education in Indonesia that they're giving their whole lives to it. And they're moving out of their environment in Australia to, to go and move there so they can do that. Think about our, um, uh, the Flins who are serving in Mission Aviation Fellowship. They're 10 hours drive from the nearest town because they feel that that's a holy discontent that they're happy to give their life to. Think about those people that we support who are planting a church in Tarnit and it's hard ground planting a new church when there's no church buildings. It's hard ground. But they're giving their life to it because that's their holy discontent. God calls us to be peacemakers in a sphere of influence where we've been given a holy discontent where that particular issue is the one thing that we're happy to give our life to and we're happy to put up with conflict and destruction and internal uh, uh, issues in a way that in some other things we just walk away from it because that's our holy discontent. I wonder what it is for you. For some of you, I know it's business and that's a good thing to give your issue to. We need great people in the sphere of business who have a holy discontent for God's mission in the world of business. We need so many people in the area of finance who are doing good ethical ways of transacting in the finance world. So if you're called to the finance world, do that. For some of you, I know it's medicine. For some of you, I know it's education. For some of you, I know it's a whole range of issues. But for some of you, it's not connected with your career at all. Your holy discontent is serving your family. Or maybe it's serving someone in the community. An issue where you don't even get income at all, but your holy discontent is to be a peace builder in a particular segment of the community. And for some, I know that you're called to build peace at the moment, give all your attention just to one other person who needs your care and attention at the moment. You see... Being a peacemaker is not about changing the whole world. We're not trying to be the Messiah to the world. Jesus did that. We're trying to build peace in our sphere of influence. And I wonder where God has called you to do that. Finally, I want to focus on that last part of the Beatitude. When we're peacemakers, when we seek internal peace, when we build external peace... And when we focus on our holy discontent, the thing that God has put a burden on our heart for, it says we're going to be children of God. You see, all of the things that I've said in the Beatitudes 
come from the very nature of God. God is a God of mercy. God is pure of heart. God is peace. So instead of the Pax Romana that the crowd were aware of, Jesus is calling them to Pax Christi, which is the peace of Christ. Jesus was known as the Prince of Peace. It was fundamental to who he was. And he calls people to take his peace out into the world. This beatitude promises that those who are peacemakers will be called the children of God. They'll be called the children of God because they'll have the same DNA in them as they go out into their sphere of influence as God himself. If God is a God of love, then we're going to have love. If God is a God of hope, we're going to have hope. When if God is a God of peace, we're going to have peace. What a great honour that people will see our positive contribution that we make to the world and they'll see this and they'll think of God in heaven. That they'll look at us and they'll learn more about God. What a wonderful honour that would be. You see, we each, those of us who are parents, we can sometimes see the qualities of ourselves in our children. Maybe sometimes the bad qualities. We also see the positive contributions that we make to our children. They have a little bit of us in them. I'm not just talking about the DNA. I'm talking about the positive qualities that we have. That's the same with God our Father. When we follow Jesus, who was the Prince of Peace, then we should be peaceful. If we put our faith and trust in God the Father who is merciful, then we'll have mercy. We will be the children of God when we demonstrate that we have the characteristics of God in our sphere of influence. What a great honour that that would be. And I encourage us to focus on that as we think about being peacemakers in our world. Gracious God, we praise and thank you for who you are. We thank you for your peace. Lord, we long for the day where there's an absence of conflict in our world, but we also know that when conflict ceases, there's still restoration to be done. We pray that we are the people who help with that restoration, that we're the people who bring hope to the world, bring grace to the world, bring mercy to the world, bring love to the world, and that, Lord, we are peacemakers. And we thank you that you call us your children. And we make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.